Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. We're taking a short break for the holidays, so we're bringing you a classic from the archives. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So uh, where were we? I, I, I think we were talking about trust and, and shared stories. That's what I remember. <laughs> well, we were talking about how happy we were to have moved on from um, how to undermine teams. And uh, we talked about the book and uh, building trust. And uh, we promised people uh, some tools to help uh, start building trust. And uh, one in particular we mentioned was the ladder of inference and, uh, and, and also your particular take on it, which is TD for people. Indeed. Test-driven development for people. That's uh, a, a way of looking at this particular tool. Right. We should uh, probably start by referring people, describing the ladder of inference, and also, I think, explaining that we have a particular version of the ladder of inference in, in mind. Can you describe the, the explain what the ladder of inference is in a sort of generic sense? Absolutely. So uh, you'll remember that what we're looking to do is to to build trust with people. That's the the first thing you should build. We talked about last time. And in order to do that, we need to get to a shared story. And in order to get to a shared story, I need to be able to see into your head. And Jeffrey, uh, you haven't developed telepathy since we last talked, have you? (laughs) No, I've not. Darn, I haven't either. If any of our listeners have, we'd like to hear about it because all of this would be a lot easier with telepathy. Without telepathy, you need some tools in order to build trust with your stakeholders, with your product manager, with your team, whoever it might be. And the picture we have, uh, by the way, this it, it's going to be a lot better. This is a podcast where I, I wish we had video just for this one because there's a, a particular picture. And I remember, Jeffrey, when you sent me this picture. I said, ah, now I get it. So I'd really encourage listeners to go to the show notes where we have a annotated copy of this picture, which comes from the fifth discipline by Peter Senga. I hope I'm saying his name right. And it's a picture of a person's head and there's a ladder superimposed on it. And it's going to be a lot clearer if you can see this. I'll, try, I'll do my best to, to describe the picture for those of you who are driving or something. Don't look up the picture while you're driving. If you had trouble finding it, you could also just type ladder of inference into Google Images and look for the one that has a picture of a person's head because that's the most helpful one. You will find lots and lots of pictures. You will. <laughs> and letters. So. And they're mostly pretty pretty ugly, but this, this original one with the head is the, the most informative, I find. So what the ladder of inference says is that there are certain things that are outside your head, in other words, that other people can observe and share with you, but there are lots of things inside your head, which is your internal share, your internal story. And if that's not shared, then your actions are not going to be very closely associated to what people observe. So the ladder starts with something people can see, which is the shared experience that we all have. So we might observe that the team has poor quality. There, there are a lot of bugs coming out from our team. That would be something you could observe. You could count them. You could say there are 67 bugs in the last sprint, something like that. And then the next step up happens inside your head and you select what things are important. A lot of those bugs are customer affecting. They're, they're not just internal errors or slowness or something like that. They're things that customers see and, and you select for those bugs. You say that's the important thing. The next step up from that is meaning. So you say, well, the meaning of that is that our team doesn't care about quality. And the assumption, that's the next step, is that our team is not ever going to care about quality. My conclusion from that is we've got the wrong team. My belief is, and I'm just taking each of the steps here, my belief is that developers really are are hard to motivate and and don't care very much, especially ours. And my action is fire the whole team. (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> if if I if I got from <laughs> if I got from observing some bugs to taking the action of firing everybody, nobody would be able to understand my reasoning, and certainly no one would be able to question it. No one would be able to tell me, "Hey, wait a minute, my story is a bit different," and maybe you would like to know that before you fire everyone. So the ladder of inference is a way of breaking down the steps between I observe something and I take an action and sharing according to those small steps the route by which I get to the action that I take. What's interesting about this as a tool is because it takes something that we normally do instantaneously, effortlessly, uh, which is we know we, we, we hear something or we see something, we come to conclusions and we take actions so quickly that it's like these steps aren't even there. Mm -hmm. uh, in our day-to-day -day life, we're, we're not aware that, for example, that we're adding meanings or we're making assumptions. We just we just feel we're dealing with the world as it is, and that all seems right. And it's uh, one of the values of this as a tool, the letter to say, "Hey, look, you know, it's it's you, that's not true. You're you're not just dealing with objective reality. You don't have a special connection to the universe that lets you know the the, the truth of the of everything that's going on. You're making assumptions." You, you're adding personal meetings, and even you're selecting what data you observe, right? You you think that you're selecting data, but actually what you see is colored by the beliefs you already have. Uh, this is why this tool, I think, is, is so valuable in, um, because it helps remind us that uh, our actions don't just spring from the, from the universe, but rather they, they, all these processes going on in our heads that we're usually not aware of. Absolutely. And you have some very nice links to other concepts that we've talked about before. Did you want to explain those? So those are here on the, the, the annotated picture that we have on the, on the Troubleshooting Agile website linked in the show notes. What are those about, Jeffrey? Because you've added something to Senga's original picture. Yeah, I have. And in particular, um, what I was just describing here, this idea that we normally are unconsciously coming up with things from our from our beliefs about the world and that inform what we do is something we've talked about before in terms of cognitive biases. And so what I've added to this diagram is some words, which is you know a few descriptions of very common cognitive biases, including the illusion of transparency, confirmation bias, anchor effect, normalcy bias, and a link to the uh, website and book where I got them at the time, which is the website you're not so smart.com. And there's a related book that you can find there, which has a, a whole series of these cognitive biases. And the very first one on the list is the illusion of transparency, which is especially relevant because in your case of the person who's unhappy about the quality of their system, and in more than the quality of the system, but the beliefs that he has about the team, that these people just don't care about quality, and it's never going to mm -hmm. change. One of the illusions, one of the cognitive biases is, well, I think I've been pretty clear <laughs> mm -hmm. about how I feel about it. I think people yep. in the meeting, anyone in the meeting would have known how I felt. And therefore I have evidence to support my theory that this team doesn't care because anybody could have, who, who did care would have understood. Sadly, that's just not accurate. <laughs> that's right. I'm sure the people knew by the questions I asked what I meant. Uh, no, no, they don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's one set of annotations I've put on this illustration of the letter. The other one is one that should be familiar with listeners to our podcast because they are from an article that we've spent a, a, a bit of time on called How Unilateral Control Undermines Team Results and Relationships. And they are the five set of assumptions of the unilateral control model. So as a reminder, those are, I understand the situation, those who disagree don't. I am right, those who disagree are wrong. I have pure motives, those who disagree have questionable motives. 
my feelings and behavior are justified, which is my personal favorite of these, and I am not contributing to the problem. I like putting these together because I think those assumptions tend to illustrate the default stance that people have in their minds. And, and certainly those unilateral control assumptions are often there on the ladder of the assumptions that you're making as you go from stimulus to response. As you go from rung to rung, you want to be looking for these kinds of uh, biases and these kinds of assumptions, which might be causing you to take a step that is unwarranted or that you might want to check. Yeah. And, and I could tell in my example, I was kind of falling off as, as I started to say, yeah, this team doesn't care. There's, there's <laughs> absolutely some, some unwarranted assumptions there. And that's something I might want to catch by slowing myself down. Yes. And, and that's where, the, where this comes useful to, is the idea that this is going on in your head uh, all the time. It's also going on other people's heads as well. And I think that idea is kind of where you then developed uh, this particular application of the ladder that you have come up with. Is, is that right? This is the, the, yeah, the indeed. TD for people. Absolutely. So, so if those of the, our listeners who are software developers may be familiar with this idea of test-driven development. If you're not, the very brief version is that as you're writing code, you also write tests, and you actually write the tests first, and you do each step in small pieces. So you write one line of code, and before you do that, you write a test to verify whether it's right or not. And when you write that line of code, you then run the tests, and they either turn red or they turn green. And if they turn green, you wrote it right, and if they turn red, you know immediately that you've created a bug. So the things that might sound familiar and the thing that started to ring in my head, Jeffrey, when you first uh, introduced me to this picture was, oh, this, this sounds like or this feels like when I'm doing test-driven development and I have this sense of, go, of slowing down a process just a little bit that normally goes very fast and getting a full understanding of it and taking small steps, not slow steps necessarily, but small steps, each of which I'm confident about. So uh, I have a whole video on this. We'll we'll link to that in the in the show notes. So if you want to see a whole video with visual aids and things and descriptions and examples, you can see that. I, I think it might help best though, Jeffrey, if if we did actually an example, because then I can point out how at each step we're taking an opportunity to see whether my story is aligned with yours, whether my ladder of inference matches yours, and where that's kind of like a red test or a green test. Would you mind doing one of those? I think that sounds great. We said we wanted to use uh, our old friends, Paula and Ted, for this. Oh, good right? old Paula and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we've talked about them on the podcast before. Uh, if we haven't, we certainly will again in the future. And for our reference for this, this is going to be a, a, a case that we can find in a uh, another artifact from Roger Schwartz, uh, which is his white paper that we have uh, talked about a few times in our podcast, which is Eight Behaviors for Smarter Teams. Mm -hmm. And people who've uh, read that will have seen this, what uh, Schwartz calls the withholding relevant information case study. I like to call it, uh, Paula gets angry at Ted for no apparent reason oh. um, <laughs> because she's not sharing her reasoning. You can, you can tell in the story that she's angry, but only because you're reading her thoughts. <laughs> that's Well, that's right. It, if for, for the outsiders, it, it doesn't sound like Paula got angry at all. It sounds like a very boring conversation between Paul and Ted in which nothing very much happens. <laughs> Indeed, but it's boiling on the on the left-hand side on the part where she's thinking. So the, the scenario, for those who haven't read or don't have a chance to look it up in the show notes, uh, is that Paula 
and Ted have just given a presentation. Paula thinks Ted did a terrible job and that it went horribly wrong and nobody's going to approve anything. And Ted apparently thinks everything went just fine. And they proceed to have a conversation in which she probes a little bit, but doesn't really find out what Ted was thinking and doesn't get to a shared story. And by the end of it, she thinks Ted is the worst guy ever and everything is a disaster. So that's what's going on in the uh, case study was that Paul is getting angry. We're going to try to use now this TD for people in the ladder of inference. And um, I think I'll be Ted and I'm going to make up a story about wh what Ted knows. And then uh, scroll, you'll be playing Paula's role and then uh, come at me with the, your TD for people. How does that sound? It sounds great. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to be curious and discover with a series of steps going up the ladder of inference where my reasoning and Ted's reasoning diverge. Because my action is, um, hey, we should like go and do whatever we can to save this presentation because it was a disaster. And Ted's view is everything's fine. So our actions are different. We observed the same thing. We were at the same meeting. What's in between? That's what I'm curious about. Okay. You, you ready to be Ted? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Here we go. I'm Paula. So, Ted, we were just at the presentation, and I'm wondering, uh, how did you think it went? Uh, how did you think it went with the directors yesterday? Mm, I, I thought it went okay, although there were some rough spots. Some of the directors can really get nitpicky. Got it. Okay. So, I'm curious that the thing that I found most important was that they seemed to ask some really tough questions. You called it nitpicky, and I, I actually viewed it as, as quite negative. How did you see that? Was that an important part for you? How, how did you see it? Well, I mean, it, it was certainly stood out when they were asking those kind of very uh, detailed questions. Um, so, that, that I do, it's very, certainly very memorable for me. Yeah, it actually made me a bit frightened when they were giving giving such a grilling. And and when I heard that grilling, I, uh, the meaning I attached to it was that uh, they were really negative on what we were saying and and the presentation we give. Did, did did you see it that way? Did you have a different meaning for it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see them as really negative. I think they just wanted a lot more details than we had in the you know high level presentation. Hmm. Can you tell me more about that? What details do you think we're missing? Well, I mean, I think some of the cost uh, questions uh, that uh, that were that they were asking about, you know, if we didn't get into you know all the all the granular details, and just kind of had really were more focused on the value side in, in what I presented. Got it. Okay. And the assumption I made about that, because I heard the same thing, they seemed really concerned about the budget. My assumption was they they don't think they have budget for it; that they're going to really have trouble. Uh, approving this because there's just not money here at the end of the year. Did you see it that way? What did you think? Hmm. No, I, I, I didn't. I don't remember them any anything about budgets. I don't remember them objecting about the total amounts. They just, you know, wanted the details. Uh, so that was really the the, uh, uh, the what I heard from it. They just, you know, wanted that information that if they were expecting it, but but didn't get it. But um, after that, I thought things went okay. Hmm. Okay, so so we're definitely thinking about it differently because I have an assumption that they were negative and because they don't have the budget. So, sounds like that's the sort of thing we could go and check out. Um, do, do you think that's a useful thing to do? Is that a con conclusion you would draw that, that's useful to check or do you see it differently? Well, you know, I, I, I think we're in okay shape. I had a couple of the directors come up to me afterwards and say they appreciated the presentation. Hmm. Because I've got to tell you, uh, I really thought it didn't go very well, but the reason was that I had this assumption that the, the negative cost questions were a signal that 
that this was not working. It, it seems like our assumptions are different. We're, we're kind of agreeing up to, to, to a certain point, but then I'm assuming that it didn't work and you're assuming that, that, that it did. Do you see, am I missing something here? I, I think that's right. I think you and I are definitely seeing that, that, that differently. Um, and now you're kind of making me wonder, but I, I, I didn't have a problem, a sense of problem at the time, but, but, um, uh, I think that's that's right. I mean, I think we are making different assumptions about what they had in mind with those questions. Got it. Okay, let's stop there yeah. to uh, <laughs> reflect on on our conversation. So, if if you're following along with the the picture, then you see that I asked about what we observed, what uh, Jeffrey or Ted selected, what meaning it had, and we kind of fell off the rails at assumptions. That's where I'd say in the TDD example, I was getting a red rather than a green because the assumption I was making was questions about cost mean we don't have any budget, and Ted definitely saw that differently. So if I then try to take actions like sending a whole bunch of budget information, Ted's going to be completely confused by that unless I have this conversation with him so he can understand why I'm taking that action. We still might not agree. It doesn't sound like we did, but we certainly, uh, my action will make more sense to him and he might be able even to support me or help me. It sounded like, tell me if I'm wrong, Jeffrey stroke Ted, that <laughs> sounded like by the end you were, you were getting to think, oh, maybe Paul has got something there. Maybe we should ask. <laughs> well, I certainly we we got to the point where we disagreed very cleanly. I thought it was interesting, you know, this is not something that we had practiced ahead of time, and I had scenarios in my, in my mind that you knew nothing about, so that was quite fun. And I think you know we had different assumptions, and you try to get us to agree on sort of what steps to take next, and I resisted that uh, in my role play. So mm -hmm. I wasn't really ready to move on because you and I did see the world differently. But what we could agree was that uh, where we were disagreeing. And I think that was the mm -hmm. uh, the real value here in the ladder of inference with that TDD approach is we're able to find that point of disagreement, which I thought was pretty effective. And at least then we know that that's where our stories don't match. So if yeah. we go back to the idea of building trust, you're likely to have, I hope, as Ted, more trust in me, Paula, because if I, if I just run off and send a whole bunch of extra budget information, you might think I'm trying to undermine you. At least now you know that I'm worried and that I have a particular reason for my worry, and that's why I'm taking the action, even if you disagree with it. Uh, that's right. And and you, Paula, may have learned some things about you know how I'm seeing the world and what I thought we were doing, and also that uh, I had some directors come up to me after the meeting saying they appreciated it. So you've gained some information here and uh, we we've we found this point of disagreement that we can then you know decide what to do next Absolutely. So as usual, I have a, an example from my consulting work that I'd like to bring in here. And, and that's a, a client of mine who was trying to do a, a very similar thing. He was trying to understand the actions of someone in his team, and he, he was really struggling. This person has a, a quite significant role in the company, and when this person takes actions, they can have a very significant impact. And what this person was doing was rather than teach other people how to have similar impact, this person was just going off and doing these things. So um, going off and, and making deals and, and events and, and trades and things happen that were potentially making the company millions of pounds in a very short time. And the observation that the person I'm coaching saw was that when this person did these things, he wasn't helping anyone else to do them. So when he goes on holiday, we can't do any of this amazing high profit, very high value stuff. And his reasoning was that doesn't seem very smart. I want to make sure somebody else knows how to do this very valuable stuff. And so I said, well, let me teach you about test-driven development for people. And we, we went through an example like you and I just did, Jeffrey. And 
Well, I said, why don't you try having a conversation with this person using this technique and come back and tell me how it goes. So he said, okay, Squirrel, I don't know if that's going to work, but I'll, I'll go try it. And he came back and he said, wow, I learned this, this very interesting information. And again, the, the key thing is when you're doing this kind of TDD for people approach to the ladder of inference is you expect to get a red somewhere. If you're going through the actions, if you're in the situation where you want to use it, of course, what you're trying to do is learn something about a surprising action. And the, the difficulty he was having was he didn't understand what was inside the person's head. So he went off and he, he had the conversation and he, he went through it step by step. And where he got the red was actually quite early. It turned out that the person uh, actually had one very specific target in mind. There was a particular outcome he was trying to get to. And that was why he was taking these tactical actions and not teaching other people. And uh, once he got that done, he was completely ready to do the strategic training of others and reducing the, the bus number so that other people could do this valuable uh, activity. Ah. He, he was completely willing to do that. So it was actually either data or selecting data or meanings that, that he was willing to, to make the shift. And the person I was coaching didn't know this at all. Right. He, he thought the guy was using a, a, an overall principle of I should do everything. And that wasn't the person's view in, in the least. He <laughs> wanted to do a particular set of things. And there would be no way for my person I'm coaching to know this unless he went and inquired and tried to get into the person's head. And unless, again, somebody had developed telepathy. Right. Without telepathy, uh, this is the only way I know to discover <laughs> what somebody else's reasoning is. And it's a certainly a very effective one. I really like that. That does have that element of surprise. It fits very well with the, the story I'm telling myself that we talked about last exactly. time. Exactly. They each had a story in their heads, and they were different stories, and uh, they were able to use this ladder to find out, you know, how they how they diverged, and it sounds like that was a a good result for them. It, it certainly was, and built trust, as we've been talking about. So, when you can get to shared stories, when you can understand the reasoning that someone else has, that's going to increase your trust, which is going to increase your results for your agile team. Very nice. Um, this ladder of inference, uh, I think we've done a, a really nice job here with your T for people uh, describing about how to use it to be curious and learn about other people. But I often use the, the ladder in a slightly different way. And uh, I'm thinking that next time we can talk about a different uh, use of the ladder of inference, uh, which is as a tool for introspection. Excellent. And I don't use it as much that way. So I'm, I'm keen to learn about it. That sounds great. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll bring that next time. It'll be very similar. We'll be using the same tool, but in this time, rather than using it to uh, inquire to other people and learn about their ladder, it's to to uh, learn more about ourselves and how we're viewing the world. And uh, so we'll we'll talk about that next time. That's excellent, and that should also help you to build trust because then you can share your reasoning with the other people, which um, it should help you to align the stories. That's our overall goal here is to help our listeners build trust, which, as Brad Appleton says, is the first thing you should build. Yes, absolutely. Super. Well, people can find out how to get in touch with us at agileconversations.com. And, of course, you can also come back next Wednesday when we'll be on here again with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.